0: Alrighty, I welcome you back to your seats. Well, Pastor Jim does not need uh, much of an introduction. I just wanted to let you know what a joy it is to work with young men who have been raised up uh, and have been filled with the spirit. And uh, Jim has been studying online for almost a couple years. He, he just is a man of God. He's very teachable. He's very encouraging. He's very helpful to be around all day long in the offices, just what a blessing. And so uh, with that, uh, just welcome Pastor Jim once again.
1: Well, good morning. It's good to be in church, amen? amen. You guys ready to get in the word of God? Yes. All right, open in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. right let's pray father we're so thankful this morning to be able to gather together in the name of Jesus Christ and to worship you in spirit and truth to enjoy Christian fellowship and to get into your word your word which is so powerful it's able to get down deep into our soul and and transform our life transform us completely and so I pray you'd use your powerful word and my simple little message to impact us today, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's been a troubling and trying year for my family. In March, my mother was rushed to the emergency room after suffering from a massive grand mal seizure. She's in her 50s and she's never had one of these ever. And so I boarded the first flight that I could out to North Carolina. I spent a week with her just there to care for her and, and while I was there she had another seizure and it was, it was scary because she didn't, she didn't know who I was, she didn't know what was going on, she didn't know who she was or, or where she was. And the doctors recently diagnosed her with neurosarcoidosis which is a rare disease of which there is no known cure. In June, my father, who's been in prison my entire life, was set to be released. He had gone to the parole board and they, they had given him a date. Um, but when that date finally arrived, the decision was overturned by the authorities. And so today, he is still in prison. And then in July, my wife started suffering Uh, these serious and life-altering symptoms from a mysterious illness that doctors weren't able to diagnose. One that was literally taking her breath away. She felt as though someone was sitting on her chest. Her, Her bronchioles were constricted. She was blacking out occasionally and even falling down. She was having trouble sleeping, She wasn't able to function uh, at a normal capacity. It was very, very scary. And the doctors finally diagnosed her with a very rare form of seizure, one that she'll have to be on medication for the rest of her life. So this year has been a very trying and troubling and concerning time for me. And we all have troubling and trying and concerning times, don't we? We all face troubles on a day-to-day basis, trying times, trying circumstances and uncertainties. What are we to do when troubles come our way? How are we to respond? And what purpose could God possibly have for trials anyways? And will they ever end? Is there any hope for deliverance? Well, in our text today, the Apostle Paul will answer these questions, reminding us that our God is the God of all comfort. And our God is the God of deliverance. And He is able to rescue us from every trial, from every trouble, from every circumstance that we face in this life. But even if He should not, because of purposes that he has in his own mind, purposes that he may never disclose to me, even if he should not take away my trial, he will be with me in it to comfort me and to, and to strengthen me and to use it ultimately to impact other people for his kingdom and for eternity." So let's read the first portion of our text in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses three through seven. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. in our comfort. So our first point this morning will be the God of all comfort. Now, have you ever met someone who blamed the Lord because of the evil things that were happening in their life or accused God of not caring about them because of what was taking place? If God really cared about me, then why did my husband do that to me? If God really cared, then then why did my wife walk out on me? If God really cared about me, then then why did I lose my job? I have a family to support, you know? If God really cared about me, then, then why hasn't he healed me? Why am I still sick? Why didn't he prevent this? Why is he allowing this? Listen to this segment from the Washington Post, reporting on a tornado that struck in Oklahoma. The massive tornado outside of Oklahoma City annihilated buildings, including a school with students and teachers. One atheist tweeted, Newsflash, if God cared about Oklahoma, he wouldn't have allowed the tornado in the first place. Now, it's quite often that we find people who blame God or accuse God for not caring because of the things that are taking place in their life. But it's seldom or very rarely rarely do we find someone who praises the Lord even though evil is taking place, even though troubles and and trying times are happening, even though they're facing crazy circumstances, they're standing up against Goliath or or they're at the edge of the Red Sea with. No place else to go, and the armies of the Egyptians are surrounding them. Meet the Apostle Paul, a man who opens his letter by saying, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Amazing. Amazing that he starts out his letter by praising God. Amazing because Paul was a man who suffered more than most of us could ever imagine. He knew exactly what it was like to lose everything. He lost his job. He lost his reputation. He was a revered and well-respected Pharisee in the land of Israel. He lost his wealth, at times being homeless, uncertain where his meal would come from sometimes. He lost friends, they forsook him and some even believe a wife that he may have had left him. So he knew what it was like to lose everything and he knew what it was like to suffer daily with an illness. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he speaks about a thorn in his flesh and that Greek word for thorn means tent stake. He felt like he had a tent stake in his flesh and it tormented him daily so much so that he cried out to the Lord three separate times for it to be removed. In Galatians chapter four, he says, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you, perhaps some sort of eye disease. And so he knew what it was like to suffer with an illness on a daily basis. And he knew what it was like to suffer persecution. He was thrown into prison many times, beaten with rods, stoned, and five times he received the 39 lashes, a whip with pieces of bone and metal embedded into it. All of this happened to the Apostle Paul after he became a Christian, after he put his trust in Jesus Christ. Yet we never see him blaming God for those troubles. We never see him accusing God of not caring about him but rather we see the Apostle Paul praising the Lord. And that's because he understood two things that he expressed in this text. And the first is that God is not the source of the troubles and the trials in our life, but rather our God is the source of comfort and relief from all the troubles and trials in our life. You see, troubles are to be expected in this life. Matter of fact, Jesus promised them to us in John chapter 16 and verse 33. He said, in this world, you shall suffer tribulation. That's not one of my favorite promises. I'm not cutting that out and pasting it all over my home. We shall have troubles in this life. We live in a fallen world. We're surrounded by fallen people with a fallen nature who do sinful things and sometimes the decisions that other people make hit close to home. We ourselves are fallen beings. We live in a fallen body that sometimes rebels against us and we end up with illnesses that we can't understand why. Or sometimes we make sinful decisions ourselves with those negative consequences. And on top of all of that, we have an invisible enemy, one we can't, not, we can't even see him, the devil and his angels who is attacking us. He hates God and he hates his people. And his goal, his dream, his fantasy is to destroy our life, is to kill, steal, destroy, and to devour each and every single one of us. Now, the, the mistake that so many people make when, when troubles come their way is to blame God. It's to accuse God. It's, it's to withdraw from him, to withdraw from prayer, to withdraw from the word of God, and to withdraw from Christian fellowship, saying, I want nothing to do with you, Lord. Look what's going on. Where are you, God, when I need you now? Why did you allow this to happen to me? They run to a bottle of southern comfort rather than running to the God of all comfort. You see, the best and and the wisest and the most beneficial thing that you can do, brother and sister, in the midst of your troubles is to draw near to the Lord. He is the God of all comfort and the God of compassion. Listen to Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. It's a rest for your souls. He's the God of compassion. He loves you, cares for you. He wants to comfort you with what you're going through today. Now Paul says he is the father of compassion and the God of all comfort, meaning he is the source of compassion, the source of comfort. It finds its origin in him, it springs forth from the Lord, compassion and comfort. Now I was reading the label on a crystal geyser bottled water, okay? And it says this, Alpine spring water, 100% natural spring water. And it has a little picture on the bottle, you know, of the mountains with the glacier. And it's like, oh. These marketing people are very smart. Because what they're doing is they're taking you in your mind, in your imagination, to the top of Mount Shasta with those snow-covered peaks and and those green pine trees surrounding the area. And then in the snow, there's this little bubbling brook of water kind of gushing out. And there's one of the crystal geyser workers with your bottle of water (laughs) filling it up and capping it and saying, here you go. Now, what are they saying? They're saying it doesn't get any better than this. That this is what you need because it's bottled at the source. It's bottled at the origin. And that's what the apostle Paul is saying, that that our God, he is the source of comfort. That, That he is what you need in the midst of your troubles, that it doesn't get any better than him. Don't look any place else. Look to the Lord. So he calls the Father here in this passage the God of all comfort. In John chapter 14 in verse 26, the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Godhead, he is called the Comforter. And then that same Greek word, parakletos, is used of Jesus in 1 John chapter 2 in verse 1. We have an advocate, we have a helper, we have a Comforter, we have a paracletos with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity, our God. He is with us. And and He doesn't just He doesn't just stick His arm around us and and pat us on the back and say, It's gonna be okay, Skipper. No. He wants to help us. He wants to to truly comfort us with what we're going through. Listen to David Guzik on this word comfort. I'm going to drink a little drink of water. My fallen body is rebelling against me. Guzik says, The idea behind this word for comfort in the New Testament is always more than soothing sympathy. It has the idea of strengthening of helping, of making strong. And so God's comfort makes us strong. He gives us strength when he comforts us so that we do not collapse under the weight of our trials. You remember the Lord Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was being crushed by the weight of our sins, so much so that perhaps the capillaries in his forehead were bursting and it appeared as though he was sweating great drops of blood. You see, he was facing the greatest trial that, that any man has ever faced. He was going to drink the cup of God's wrath for us. And as he thought about that, it overwhelmed him. And so he fell down on his knees, three separate occasions in the garden of Gethsemane. And he cried out to the Father, who is the God of all comfort and the God of compassion. And the Father, how did he respond? Did he take away the trial? No. He sent an angel. He sent an angel to strengthen Jesus, to be able to endure the cross. So how is God going to comfort you today The same way he comforted Paul in all his afflictions, strengthened them. The same way that he he comforted Jesus in the garden, he strengthened him. The, The same way he has been comforting me as I've been dealing with walking through this illness with my wife, he has been strengthening me to be what, a better father, to be a better husband, to step it up a notch, to cook dinner, even though I don't like to cook dinner because I don't cook very good. To do the dishes. Who likes to do the dishes, right? To do the laundry. Still working on the folding part. Throw it in a pile. It's clean, though. To help the kiddos with the homework. You see, God's comfort is, is practical, It makes a difference in your day to day life as we deal with our troubles and our trials. And so allow God wherever you're at today to comfort you. And so Paul praised God instead of blamed God because he knew that God was not the source of his trouble but rather the source of his comfort and relief. And secondly, Paul praised God because he knew that God has an eternal purpose for the trials that we are going through. And that is to equip us to minister to other people who are in need. Now listen to these verses, verse four. He says, he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. And then verse six, if we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. Paul's perspective. Whatever I go through in this life, whether it's good or whether it's bad, God is going to use it somehow, some way, to bring a blessing into someone else's life. And that's the promise behind Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. God will work everything together for good, the life of Joseph. This guy went through the ringer, did he not, in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis? Betrayed by his own family, by his own brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused of adultery and then thrown into prison, left to rot and die. But we never see, we never hear, we never read of Joseph accusing God or blaming God. That's because Joseph, he understood. He understood that God's plan was bigger than what he was going through, that somehow, some way, God was going to use it to impact other people's lives. God was going to use his trials for the good of other people. And God certainly did. You see, Joseph was released from prison eventually and he was exalted to second in command in the nation of Egypt. And he rescued the 70 members of his family who were suffering in the land of Canaan under the scarcity of a famine. And as his brothers who had betrayed him stood before him they were amazed because the man that they left for dead, that they sold into slavery, he was now ministering to them. And Joseph looked at them straight in the eye in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, and he said this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. For the, for, to accomplish what is now being done The saving of many lives. Joseph understood. Everything I go through, God has got some sort of master plan to bless other people. You see, if Joseph had never gone to Egypt, if Joseph had never gone through what he went through, then he couldn't have been able to save his people. And we might not have an Israel. And if we don't have an Israel, we don't have a savior. Jeremy Camp, my favorite Christian artist, love this guy, he tells his testimony of his wife, Melissa, perhaps you've heard it. She had cancer when they got married and he was madly in love with this gal and it's easy to understand why. She was just a, a devoted follower of Jesus. She would say things like this, if I were to die of this cancer, one person were to accept Jesus because of it, it would be worth it. She knew God was going to use what what she was going through to reach other people. Four and a half months after they got married, she passed away and she went to be with the Lord. This was very difficult for Jeremy. He didn't understand. He believed that that God was going to heal her He really believed that, and just wrestling with God, I just wanna know why, God, I just wanna know know why, why, why? And he says that the Lord spoke to his heart and and said, I don't want you to know why, because if you knew why, then it wouldn't be walking by faith, now would it? I want you to trust me, that I have a good purpose and a good plan, and, and that is to use it, to reach other people. We may not understand why we're going through the things that we're going through today, but we can know that God has a good purpose for it. How many lives, how many souls have been saved, how many Christians have been encouraged because of Jeremy's testimony as he travels literally around the world? Concerts with thousands and thousands of people and at each and every single one of these concerts, he shares this testimony. A testimony that has touched my life and I believe that has touched your life even today. How many lives has Jesus saved because of what he went through on the cross? My life, your life, the lives of millions and millions of of people. I don't know what you're going through today, but I do know this, that our God is the God of all comfort, that he can comfort you, that he can give you strength to hang in there and that he will use this for good, to impact other people. Now let's move on, verses eight through 11. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us and the answer to the prayers of many. Our second point and final point will be the God of deliverance. And I wanna read to you a quote from John Eldridge's blog. He's a famous uh, Christian author. He says this, I really like this. I want God to be my preventer more than my deliverer, meaning I want him to prevent bad things from happening in my life, amen? Prevent means it never happens to me. Deliver means I am in deep trouble and need God to rescue me. I think we all prefer the notion of God as preventer, and yet God is so much more often presented in the Bible as deliverer, amen? Now, Paul tells us that God allowed hardships in his life, that God allowed suffering, that God allowed him to feel in his heart at times as though he wasn't going to make it, as though he was going to die, so that he wouldn't rely on himself, but on God who raises the dead, on God who does the impossible on God, who does what we could never do ourselves. I believe that God rejoices in being our hero. I believe that God rejoices in being our deliverer. Paul mentions in verse 10, a threefold deliverance of God, past, present, and future. God has delivered us Delivered us. God will continue to deliver us and God will deliver us, past, present, and future. Paul had experienced the deliverance of God when he was in Damascus shortly after he became a born-again Christian. He was going into the synagogues and proclaiming that Jesus was the son of God. Lives are being transformed and a lot of people didn't like that. And so they got angry and they started persecuting Paul. And actually the king of Damascus wanted Paul dead, but God delivered him. Paul was placed into a basket by the brothers and sisters there in that city and let down through a window in the wall of the city and escaped the king's hand. In the city of Philippi, Paul and Silas were arrested and thrown into the jail. And at midnight, they were there singing the praises of God. And the Lord sent a great earthquake and, and the shackles, they, they fell off and the doors, they swung open. And, but that's not how God delivered them. The next morning, God changed the heart of the city officials and he let Paul, they let Paul and Silas go. They had been delivered. And Paul was experiencing on a day-to-day basis a present deliverance from God. A deliverance from, from depending upon his self, from self-reliance. He was trusting in God for everything. And he was experiencing the deliverance from temptation and the deliverance from sin by the power of the Holy Spirit whom lived with inside Paul. So at the end of his life in 2 Timothy, he could say, I have finished the race I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. So Paul was experiencing that day-to-day deliverance from God, and Paul was always looking forward to that future deliverance that God had promised to him and to all who believe on Jesus. Deliverance from every sorrow, from every pain, from every illness that he was dealing with from all of the persecution that he was facing from all of his trials and all of his troubles and he ultimately received that deliverance when he was beheaded in Rome he went to glory because the ultimate deliverance is when we go to be with the Lord now what is it today that you're going through that God can't deliver you from Is there anything in your mind that you can think of and that you could say with confidence, God is unable to help me in this area? Well, I'd like to close with a story of the impossible, a story of a great deliverance that shows that our God is a great deliverer and he can do anything. In July, I was asked to host a Christian television show live. Live called Renew. It was two hours long, and there were some people here in the church who came with me. I got to share a couple devotions on TV. There was a worship band. There was was people manning these telephones, and so people could call in and receive prayer. It was all about prayer. It was wonderful, and I got to interview this young man named C.J. Emulus, he told his testimony when he was 19, he was an up-and-coming rapper in the state of Hawaii. And to be a respected rapper, you have to be a drug dealer, okay? Otherwise, they don't respect you. And so he was shipping drugs interstate from Vallejo, California to Hawaii. Cocaine, ecstasy, marijuana, and even guns. Well, obviously, he got arrested. And he found himself in a maximum security federal penitentiary there in the state of Hawaii. And it would be 10 months down the road until he received his sentencing. He had 10 to 12 years hanging over his head with a mandatory five-year minimum. Mandatory five-year minimum. So five to 12 years is what he was looking at. Well, during that 10-month spree before he was sentenced, he became a born-again Christian. He became a follower of Jesus Christ, a man devoted to the word of God, and as the sentencing date drew near, he began to feel as though God was going to let him out somehow, and he met with his lawyer, and his lawyer was, was pleading with him, please accept this plea deal that they're offering to you. No one gets out. You have a mandatory five-year sentence. Look, kid, I've been a lawyer for 20 years. I know what I'm talking about. You're not gonna get out. I just feel like God's talking to me. God's telling me just to submit myself to the judge. And so he went ahead with it, and he goes into the courtroom, and and he's sitting down, and the judge starts laying into him. The judge's face is red. This is how he describes it. The judge's face is, is red. He's mad. He's yelling in the courtroom, listing off all of the crimes that CJ had committed, calling him essentially the scum of the earth. And by this time, CJ is starting to, to question whether or not he really heard from God, starting to, to think, maybe I made the wrong decision. Maybe my lawyer was really right. And so he bowed his head in the courtroom. He's crying and he prayed, and he prayed. He said, Lord, your will be done. Your will be done. I submit myself to you. If, if you want me in prison, let your will be done. We'll get this whole prison saved. But if you want me out, I know you can do that because you're able and use me to change the world. Let your will be done. He said after he prayed, something happened in that courtroom. Everything changed, the whole atmosphere. He looked up and the judge stopped what he was saying and said, but, but, I feel like I should give you a chance. I know what the law says. I know you have a mandatory five year sentence hanging over your head but I have authority to go beyond what the law recommends. I can do whatever. And so he holds up a picture of CJ when he first got arrested and he's got dreadlocks in his hair and mean gangster, drug dealer, rapper look on his face. And he looks at CJ and he looks at the picture and he looks at CJ and he looks at the picture five times And he said, the man I see in this picture is not the man I see in this courtroom today. I have to let you go. Bam, slammed down the hammer and CJ walked out of the courtroom that day a free man. That was a great deliverance because our God is a great deliverer but there's an even greater deliverance that each and every single born again Christian has received. Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, purchased for us a threefold deliverance. You see, all of us have an appointment to stand before the holy judge of all the earth. We're going to go to the heavenly courtroom and answer for the spiritual crimes that we have committed in this body the crimes that that we have committed in this life and the mandatory minimum sentence for the things that we have done is eternal darkness, eternity away from God, eternity in hell. But Jesus, because of the great love that he loves us with, said, I don't want them to have to pay that penalty and so I will pay it for them And so he stretched out his arms on that cross and he died for us. And so now the judge, as we're standing there in the courtroom, he holds up the picture of our life and he looks at it. He looks at all the things we've done and he looks across the courtroom, but he doesn't look at us. He looks at the one who's standing next to us, Jesus Christ, our advocate with the Father, our comforter, and he says, I have to let you go because of the wounds in his hands and because you have trusted in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus has purchased for us deliverance from the wages of our sin. And because he has risen from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God the Father, and he has sent the spirit of God to dwell in our hearts now We have been delivered from the power of sin in our life. We can live a holy and righteous life for the Lord. A drug addict can become a preacher. A man who used to swear on a regular basis now can speak kind and encouraging words. A man who had no father can somehow become a good father. A man who would steal is now a man who gives the deliverance from the power of sin. And he has ultimately granted us the greatest deliverance of all, delivering us from our greatest fear, and that is the fear of death. Glory. Promising to us, amen, resurrection from the dead, new life everlasting with him in his eternal kingdom. Our God is a great deliverer. That is what he does. Now, perhaps the miracle that God wants to perform in your life today is not taking away your trial, is not taking away your trouble, although he is perfectly capable of doing that. Perhaps the miracle of deliverance that he wants to bring to you today is the delivery of his comfort, is the delivery of his strength to your soul so that you can say with the Apostle Paul in chapter four of this letter, we are hard pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Our God is the God of all comforts. Our God is the God of deliverance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's the truth, that it tells us that you're our comforter and you're our deliverer. And I know there's hurting people in here today who are in need of the God of all comfort. I pray that you would pour out your spirit, that you would soothe people's souls and that you would strengthen them to to stand up under the heavy burdens that so many people are bearing today. I pray that you would use what people are going through to impact other people for your kingdom. I pray that people down the road would say thank you so much thank you so much for the comfort that you have brought to me. Lord, we love you. Commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand for the closing
0: song. An in indirect the way that the Lord has used this wonderful time in the Lord's presence and in his word, for me, was in obeying the Lord in a prompt that really was going to cost a little bit for somebody I love, and to put that on him in 48 hours, also to drive up five hours and get there at 1.30 in the morning and then to come back. I just didn't want to do it. I have to be in China in 10 days. I needed to prepare, I needed some time, but the Lord was tugging at my heart. When I got there and saw everything and all the reasons I needed to be there, boy, it was fantastic. My thought was, oh, we're in for a treat on Sunday because God's got this. When we step out, we follow him, it's good for you, It's good for your wife. It's good for your kids. It's good for your congregation. It's good for your coworkers. It's good for the guy who's going to have to come in this with you and walk uh, by faith, right? And that's what I saw happen. My takeaway from this, beside the teaching that I would like to play every morning and just listen and start my day that way, is obey God. Just do what he puts it on your heart to do. And you will be blessed and others around you will be blessed and God will be glorified and everybody built up it's just a wonderful thing let's pray together Heavenly Father we just want to follow you this isn't a religion of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts this you're the living God you have a living voice and you speak and when we obey when we hear there's life and so Lord whether it's inconvenient, costs us something, or just messes with the way we've laid out our days, uh, Lord, mess with us in, the, in life-giving ways and help us to have the faith and the courage to follow you in it and to be blessed. And now, Lord, for those who are struggling in, in an area that they need deliverance, Lord, we open our hearts and say, we receive your comfort strengthen us and as we walk through we remember jesus our lord is in the fire with his people there's a fourth man always (laughs) and he looks like the son of god because he is (laughs) so we thank you god for being with us in the fire using it and also for your wonderful ready willingness to deliver you can take all things um you can do all things and take us through uh, we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' wonderful name, we pray. All God's people said a hearty. Amen. Jim, that was so yummy. I am full. That's better than any breakfast burrito I know. God bless you. all. There's prayer at the cross if you need extra prayer. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night or next Sunday. God bless.